We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, more about Queen Elizabeth and her faith, and what the British monarchy, Great Britain, has done for the world. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. On today's show, I'd like to talk more about Queen Elizabeth II, her legacy and her life and her faith. And I'll also insert a couple comments here about the British monarchy, Great Britain, England, the United Kingdom, what they have done for Western civilization, for human freedom, and for the march for human dignity. Has their contribution been good or bad? This is something that we need to talk about because there's a debate right now, if you haven't heard about it, it's called critical theory that disparages everything that the United Kingdom stood for and everything that Great Britain has done to civilization. You know, colonization, systemic evil. It all starts with these dead white guys that lived in Great Britain. This is today's show. But I'm going to start out again by paying tribute to Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth II, and her 70-year reign, and what appears to be a change of heart partway through her reign in terms of her focus. Her focus shifted from one thing to another. I briefly hinted at it last week, and I'm going to share it again with you today. Let's take a break, and when I get back, again, the topic will be Queen Elizabeth II, and the United Kingdom, Great Britain, England, the Anglo influence on Western civilization. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So, one of the main things in the news over the last several days has been the death of Queen Elizabeth II. At 96 years of age, the Queen is dead, and uh, Charles has ascended to the to the throne. He's now the king of England. So what do we what do we conclude from all of this? Now in one sense, I've always been a little bit uh, perturbed, I suppose, by those who follow the British monarchy, um, read the magazines, pay attention to the stories, um, fawn over their every move. Uh, I'm not one of those guys. These are just normal human beings who happen to live a blessed life. I suppose the word today would be privileged. Uh, Sidebar here, I don't think being privileged is necessarily a bad thing. We all have certain privileges in our lives. Parents have privileges that their children do not have. Teachers have privileges that their students do not have. Athletes have privileges that non-athletes don't enjoy, and musicians have privileges that those of us 
who can't play an instrument, I would be among them. Uh, we just don't. We just don't benefit from the same privileges. Life comes with privileges, and many of those are earned. Some of them are are passed on from generation to generation. Yes, I'll grant you that. But many of the privileges that we enjoy in life are privileges that we earned, or perhaps even privileges that our parents earned. Uh, for example, I was privileged to have a mother and a father that stayed together and raised their children in a nuclear family. Yes, I was privileged, but my mother and father passed that privilege on to me by the discipline that they had in their own lives. I was privileged to be taught by a father who worked hard, not to depend on the government, but to make my own way. Yes, that's a privilege that I now have because that was inculcated into me, but it's something that was passed on by my dad. He, he earned that, and he passed that asset, if you will, on to me. So when we disparage the very idea of privilege, that's asinine in my view, because we should, we should work to pass on certain privileges to our children. I do want my kids and my grandkids to understand the privilege of being raised within a nuclear family. I do want them to understand the privilege of being taught a biblical ethic, a biblical worldview, how to behave properly. I do want my children, my sons, to understand the privilege of earning a living and living within the means that you've been able to achieve on your own rather than having somebody in government or otherwise handing things down to you. Are those privileges? Yeah. Are those privileges um, earned through the process of a disciplined life? Yes, I'd argue that they are. So this nonsense about privilege being bad, that somehow it's an evil word, garbage. Garbage. Now, there are some situations where I suppose privilege is, um, is extreme. And some would argue that the monarchy would be one of those examples. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But for the sake of today's show, let's let's just live within the reality that certain people enjoy certain privileges that others don't. And Queen Elizabeth led a privileged life in a positive sense. She was blessed providentially to be in a seat of power, authority, what people call a sovereign seat as the result of her um, birthright. So Elizabeth ascended the throne in the British monarchy in 1953. You know that if you've been reading the news at all the last few days. She was 25 years of age, and she assumed the authority of this title. She had many titles, but here's the one that I've latched on to for the sake of today's show. Her title was Queen Head of the Commonwealth and Defender of the Faith, close quote. That's one of the titles that Queen Elizabeth II assumed when she was 25 years of age in 1953. Now, what was going on in the world at that time? Well, keep in mind that she was born in 1926, and the world was spinning out of control at the point of her birth. I mean, she grew up with some obvious threats. Just refresh your memory here a little bit. She, she grew up with what Oz Guinness, a British author who lives in America now, one of my favorite authors, a Christian apologist. I was blessed to be taught by Oz Guinness when I spent a little bit of time over in Oxford, England a few years ago. Oz is brilliant, and Oz's ideas are always spot on. 
Um, Oz calls this time in world history, the 1920s, 30s, 40s, etc. He calls it the horror of the radical evil of the 20th century. It's utter desecration, the death camps, the killing fields, the simultaneous extermination of human beings and the extermination of what it even meant to be human, close quote. Again, that's what Oz Guinness says of this time of the 20th century when Elizabeth was born. She was born in 1926 at a time where Oz Guinness calls it, and I think many of us would agree, if not all of us would agree, this was a time of the horror of the radical evil of the 20th century. It's utter desecration, the death camps, the killing fields, the simultaneous extermination of human beings and the extermination of what it meant to even be human. This was the stuff of young Elizabeth's daily news. This is the stuff that she read about, heard about, listened to the radio, etc. This is her youth. In her teen years, this is the kind of stuff that she was hearing about. And if you think she was protected from this news, that's delusional. I mean, her father is the King of England. And she watched as her father worked with Winston Churchill and fought to fend off this Brutal, horrifying, senseless carnage of warfare. Again, that's a quote from Guinness. Brutal, horrifying, senseless carnage of warfare. Uh, queen Eli- no, she wasn't queen yet. Elizabeth, she witnessed um, what Guinness describes as the end of both the European Enlightenment and Europe as the capital of world civilization. Keep in mind that when she was born, Europe was still the capital of civilization. And the United Kingdom was the leader of that civilization. Uh, It was said that the sun never set on the United Kingdom, that the empire spread around the world. And that was literally true. Now, by the time Elizabeth became queen, this commonwealth over which she now ruled was already halfway through Again, I'm going to quote from Lewis, excuse me, not from Lewis, from Guinness, from Oz Guinness. This commonwealth that she was now ruling over when she became queen in 1953, it was halfway through a century-long maelstorm of clashing views, quote-unquote Oz Guinness. And this clash threatened not just the definition of the faith, remember what her title was? She was... She was given the title Queen Head of the Commonwealth and Defender of the Faith, Christianity, the Church of England. Again, there's no separation of church and state within Great Britain, the United Kingdom. It is a Christian nation. Okay, This clash threatened not just the definition of the faith, but it also threatened many of the ideals and the beliefs that were previously held in common by the commonwealth, by the people, the culture, that she was now pledged and charged to defend. She's the defender of the faith, and she's the queen head of the commonwealth. Commonwealth, holding things, beliefs, culture in common. And what were some of these things? Well, the dignity of the human being. Oh, well, Great Britain had many flaws, yes. But it also had many victories in the March for Human Dignity and Human Freedom. It's out of Great Britain that the abolition of slavery and the slave trade precipitated. It was Wilberforce, 
Okay, now the evil of slavery had permeated into the Commonwealth, Great Britain, the United Kingdom, and William Wilberforce fought against it for nearly a quarter of a century in the British Parliament and prevailed. And because of his fight against the evil of slavery and the slave trade, human dignity was elevated. I've told you the story over and over again how he fought the elites, the oligarchs, the 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 wealthy, the powerful in Great Britain who had allowed their worldview to become corrupt. They started looking at people by virtue of the color of their skin rather than elevating all human beings as a result of the content of their character. And as the result of that, they were giving a wink and a nod to the selling of human beings for labor, the British slave trade. But it was out of that atrocity and that sin that came the redemption, the redemption of a biblical worldview led by William Wilberforce at the time, who had coins printed up. He had them minted and and passed out through all of England. The coins had an image of a black man in chains, chains, excuse me, a black man in chains. And the text on that coin essentially said, am I not a man? The rhetorical question. This is a man that we've put in chains. And this is wrong. If you want to be really inspired, go rent the movie Amazing Grace. It's the story of William Wilberforce and the abolition of the slave trade. Very well done and very much worth your while. So the stuff of the daily news for Elizabeth was this, what Guinness is calling um, the carnage of warfare, the maelstorm of clashing worldviews. And this carnage, this this evil of World War I and World War II, she was born just after World War I. She was a teen through World War II. She ascends to the throne of the British monarchy shortly after World War II, and the world is in upheaval, this maelstorm of clashing worldviews. And the, uh, the reality that things can go bad very, very quickly. I mean, you have one of the greatest civilizations, one of the most educated cultures in the history of the world, the German culture, and it's out of that culture, that educated elite culture, that we got the Holocaust and Nazi socialism. This clash threatened not just the definition of faith, the faith, but it also threatened the ideals and the beliefs that were held in common by the commonwealth, the people that Elizabeth was now uh, reigning over. So this carnage of two world wars. Uh, here's what David Berlinski says of this, of, of this time in our history. 231 million men, women, and children were killed, shot over open pits, murdered in secret police cellars, asphyxiated in Nazi gas chambers, They were worked to death in Arctic mines or timber camps, the victims of deliberately contrived famines or lunatic industrial experiments. Close quote, David Berlinski. Now, I read that quote to you last week, but it's a a very (laughs) accurate quote as to what was going on. We can't forget this. Elizabeth was coronated in the midst of this. 231 million men, women, and children were shot killed, murdered, in places, uh, mass graves, Nazi gas ovens, uh, 
Arctic mines, timber camps, contrived famines, and crazy stuff that was orchestrated uh, at the hand of man. Berlinski is reminding us of this, and Os Guinness quotes Berlinski, inciting the description of what was going on in the world at the time. That, and then we had the rise of political religions, uh, which is exactly what communism and socialism and fascism are. It's the worship of a different God. It's the worship of man as opposed to man's maker. It's totalitarian. And then, then on the heels of all that, uh, as the result of creating these political religions, communism, fascism, national socialism, we had the Cold War. And anybody who's my age or maybe even a little younger is well aware of the Cold War. I mean, we lived through it. It was the stuff of our teen years, the, uh, the stuff of our daily news, as well as Elizabeth's, even though she's a generation ahead of us. The arms race, the specter of nuclear Armageddon, the moral nihilism of the burgeoning counterculture movement, you know, Cal Berkeley and whatnot. This is the world of the Queen Elizabeth in the mid-20th century. Now, now we're into an era that everybody listening to the show right now should recognize the, you know, the consequences of, like I said, moral nihilism of the countercultural movement. Cal Berkey, Berkeley, free speech, um, uh, cancel culture, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is the stuff that Elizabeth lived through as well as now you and I are in the midst of this. And then um, came the 21st century. Um, the, the acceleration of science and technology, artificial intelligence, gene editing. We're talking of transhumanism and the possible redefinition of what it even means to be a human being. It's How many times have I talked on this show about Orwell or Huxley? It's like the their warnings in Brave New World in 1984 and Animal Farm and whatnot are coming true. Or as in the words of C.S. Lewis, where he said, man's conquest of nature was turning out in the moment of its consummation to be nature's conquest of man. So we thought we were winning. We could control nature. And now it seems as if nature may actually control us and crush us in the end. Um, So, and all this is going on while the queen sat on her throne through a 70-year period. And and while all of this stuff is happening, the architects of this, what I'm going to call grand rebellion, doubled down in in their determination to rebuild their Tower of Babel. I mean, stop and think about it. Guinness actually highlights this by quoting Stefan Zigvig, who he called for this. And I think I quoted this in a previous show, too. Um, And I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. I may not be. It's... Z-W-E-I-G, uh, Zigvig, I guess, Stefan Zigvig. Uh, he said this. I, I can't believe that he actually came out and said it, but the, we actually have people that are this delusional, uh, br- the elite, the brilliant folk who say things like this today. But this was written in actually 1916, where he called for the old ancestor, the spirit which remains the same in all forms, all legends, and that nameless builder of Babel, that genius of mankind. He called for that spirit, that genius of mankind, that nameless builder of Babel, 
to rise again and strive against his creator. Close quote. Is this not hubris to the extreme? There's no humility here. This is the arrogance of mankind rising up and shaking its fist in, in, in the face of the creator and saying, we will build our tower. We're better than God. But we actually have guys that are calling for this as the solution rather than identifying it as our curse. So all of this was happening. So what was Elizabeth's response to this arrogance? Well, as I mentioned last week, at first she seemed to sympathize, if not embrace it. She said stuff like this in 1953 when ascending the throne. She said, let us set out to build a truer knowledge of ourselves and our fellow man and to use the tremendous forces of science and learning for the betterment of man's lot upon this earth. That's 1953. So she's focusing on science and human learning and the betterment of man's lot upon the earth will be led by ourselves. And then 20 years later, 1973, she echoed the same thing, essentially where she said Britain and these European countries see in the community, capital C, a new opportunity for the future. We believe that if we work together, the world, the whole world will benefit. We are trying to create a wider family of nations. So it seems like she's emphasizing the world community, European countries working together, kind of a United Nations, if you will, a family of nations. We believe that if we work together, we will benefit and create a wider family of nations. So the emphasis is still on mankind as the solution. But something happened around the turn of the century. Um, Queen Elizabeth's focus shifted, and she seemed to be looking in the opposite direction. Rather than trusting more in man, she started to trust in her maker. At least that's what her language started to express as she addressed the Commonwealth. Rather than talking about a family of nations, she began to speak quite openly about the family of God. This is what she said in the year 2000 during her Christmas presentation to the United Kingdom. She said, for me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. Very different than what she said in 1953 and 73, isn't it? And then in 2014, not that long ago, she said, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is an inspiration and an anchor, a role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. Christ's example has taught me to seek, to respect, and value all people. Billions of people now follow Christ's teaching and finding them the guiding light for their lives, and I am one of them. Close quote. She's shifted her focus from the solutions of man to the example of her maker. She's now not looking at the community of people. She's looking at Christ, her king, the prince of peace. That's what she's saying. That's the example she's setting for the commonwealth at this time in her, in her reign. And then finally, just last year in 2021, in the midst of this worldwide pandemic, she said this, the last few years have been particularly hard for many, and it has been a time of anxiety and grief and weariness. Yet the gospel has brought hope as it has done throughout the ages. Christ's teachings have been the bedrock of my faith. So from 2000 on, at least we see that Queen Elizabeth was not focusing 
on the common wisdom of man any longer as the solution for all of these atrocities that she had witnessed as she sat on the throne. Again, I repeat, she watched the world unravel. She watched millions of people being exterminated by the arrogance of man. But yet in the first part of her reign, she continued to emphasize the solutions of the common wealth coming together through the wisdom of man. But then around the year 2000, her language started to shift. What took place in her heart? I don't know. I can't judge her heart. But what I can judge and listen to and evaluate and assess and critique are her words. And her words shifted dramatically. The teachings of Christ, my accountability before God, the framework of how I lead my life, Uh, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, an inspiration, an anchor, a role model of reconciliation, forgiveness, an example to value all people. Millions of people follow his teachings and his guiding light in their lives, and I am one of them. The gospel has brought hope as it has done through the ages. Christ's teachings have been the bedrock of my faith. This is what she started saying in the last years of her life. So what's my conclusion? as we end this show. The 70-year legacy of the, what was her title? Defender of the faith. That was her title. Defender of the faith. Not a faith, not any faith, but the faith. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. The defender of the faith. That was part and parcel of her title. So her legacy, the legacy of the defender of the faith is this. She apparently started shifting her gaze from herself to her Savior. And she found hope in the gospel rather than government. And today, we're hearing that the queen is dead. In fact, I even started out my show by saying the queen is dead. But don't believe it. If, if, if Elizabeth had the faith that she was expressing to us, she now reigns. She still reigns with her sovereign, her king, in his kingdom. Read Revelation. We're told that those who are within the body of Christ become co-heirs with Christ Jesus, and we are given authority to reign with him in his kingdom. So right now, Elizabeth reigns with her sovereign in his kingdom. She's not the sovereign. He is, but she's a co-heir with him and reigning with Christ in his kingdom. Long live the queen. Long live the queen. Don't believe it when people tell you she's dead. You've never met a mere mortal. C.S. Lewis tells us that. Every human being you stumble across is an eternal creature. An eternal creature. And it appears by the words of the defender of the faith herself that she shifted her gaze to Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. And she now reigns with him in his kingdom. Long live the Queen. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.